0: It's Thursday, November 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Update on the impeachment inquiry. House Democrats have announced that public hearings will begin next week, with testimony from three State Department officials that have already testified behind closed doors. In other impeachment news, Donald Trump Jr. has tweeted out the name of the alleged whistleblower. Hayes Brown host of the Impeachment Today podcast, joins us to break it all down. Next, the next front in the streaming wars will be a piracy crackdown. With more streaming platforms coming online very soon, companies are preparing to combat open-source software that is sharing content, and also what many people may be guilty of, password sharing. The streamers need paying subscribers, and password sharing has become an increasing problem. Eric Gardner, senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter, joins us for more. Finally, with little fanfare or reward, Michael Gillespie has become one of the top people fighting a growing element of cybercrime, ransomware. There are almost 800 known types of ransomware and Gillespie has cracked more than 100 of them. Hundreds of thousands of victims have downloaded his decryption tools for free. Renee Dudley, tech reporter at ProPublica, joins us for the ransomware hero of Normal, Illinois. It's news without the noise, let's dive in. Joining us now is Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. He's also the host of the Impeachment Today podcast. Thanks for joining us, Hayes. Glad to be with you. There's so much going on with the impeachment inquiry every day. Today, we heard news that the House Democrats are announcing that public impeachment hearings are going to be starting next week. They're going to be talking to some people that they've already talked to behind closed doors, top Ukraine diplomat William Taylor, George Kent and Maria Yovanovitch, who is kind of at the center of a lot of this news. Tell us a little bit about this public phase now
1: oh man it's going to be lit i think is the correct phrasing for it because <laughs> up until this point people have not really been tracking very well exactly what's happening especially since as republicans have been saying repeatedly it's happening behind closed doors right so we're getting drips and drops coming out of like okay this person said this and this person said that but now uh we're moving into the phase that people are familiar with when they think about impeachment they, the part where people sit in front of congress and tell their story in front of cameras with people asking questions of them. And I think that this is going to be much more interesting than people tend to expect with um, congressional hearings. Yeah. Well, more and less. So, when you, you know, hear congressional hearings, if you're a nerd, you think, oh, just a bunch of Congress people kind of bloviating, asking long winded questions that are more about being on TV. Right. But this time, it's lawyers opening the show. 45 minutes for either side, just the lawyers, the majority and minority, asking the witnesses questions. So, right off the bat, it's going to be much more informative than a lot of people are used to for these sorts of hearings.
0: I wanted to talk briefly about some of the testimony that we've already heard, transcripts that have been released by Democrats. As you said, you know, a lot of this is behind closed doors. One is Gordon Sondland, who at first testified, oh, there was no quid pro quo. Then he added an addendum to his testimony that said, well, maybe it was kind of a quid pro quo.
1: <laughs> Exactly that. So Democrats and uh, other observers outside of uh, Congress were like, they noticed that he was saying that like, he couldn't really remember a lot of details when asked about them. But after being confronted with other people's testimony, he did send that an addendum and said, ah, yeah, go with what they said. That sounds like it's probably right. <laughs> right. We'll we'll stick with what they said. So it's clear that he's trying to make sure he's not putting himself at risk of perjury while also Trying to not have the bus run over him because he's someone who was for Trump, then he was against Trump briefly, then he donated a million dollars to Trump's inauguration committee in order to try and get the wheel spinning for this ambassadorship that he received to the European Union, and now he's in this mess.
0: I wanted to talk about the whistleblower because this is a supremely important part of this whole thing. The impeachment inquiry got kicked off because of the whistleblower complaint. His name has been floating around for a little bit now. The mainstream media has not wanted to put his name out there, although it's been out there. The president's son, Donald Trump Jr., tweeted a link out with his name. So people are starting to find out a little bit more about him. How important is it still to protect his identity with all this? I mean, His name is going to be out there, but I also feel on the flip side, we're getting so much more testimony from people that have been in the room now Mm -hmm. that were on that call that kind of corroborate everything. They're all saying there was a quid pro quo. Really, does it matter now that we know who he is?
1: Yes and no. No, it doesn't matter because like you said, we've had all these people who are giving testimony. They were in the room. They were part of the decisions. They saw live what was happening that the whistleblower described second and third hand, which has been a big complaint about who is the whistleblower. They didn't see it. We've got all these people saying it now, but it absolutely does matter to protect their name right now, because whistleblower laws are in place that keep anonymity to protect that person from retribution. Because this is a person who, once that name is officially out there, they will be getting death threats. They will be getting hatred. They will be doxed. Absolutely.
0: Hayes, you're doing a daily podcast about the impeachment. It's called Impeachment Today. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, because there's so much going on, and I've heard a few of the episodes already, and you guys are kind of wrapping up what's happening daily with this in a very neat package. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Like you said, we're trying to get this to like 10 to 15 minutes a day, but there's so much news. It tends to be closer to 20, going to be honest with you, (laughs) and we're just trying to make sure that we're getting the facts in front of the people, making sure that they can understand what's going on in a clear, accessible, hopefully entertaining way. So when they hear the name Gordon Sondland, they know who that is. So that when we do get to the point that these hearings are happening, they can listen back and hear like, okay, so let's listen to the deep dive on who Maria Yovanovitch is. So we're really hoping to make this into something that people actually use and need to listen to as the impeachment saga moves forward.
0: It's posted early every morning, Monday through Friday. So, everybody take a listen because it does really set you up for what's going to happen that day. And as I said, something's happening every single day with this inquiry. Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News and host of the Impeachment Today podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
2: passwords are kind of like the locks you put on the front door but you know there, there's going to be all sorts of hacking efforts to let consumers through the back door as well and so that's what the industry is thinking about joining
0: us now is eric gardner senior editor at the hollywood reporter thanks for joining us eric absolutely we're all getting ready for the upcoming streaming wars There's going to be a ton of different streaming services available for consumers. Right now we have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. The other ones coming up pretty soon are going to be Apple TV+, Disney+, HBO Max, Peacock. So there's seven, possibly more even than that. The next big crackdown that might be coming is piracy with a lot of it having to do with password sharing of these things. I've already had a bunch of friends come up to me and say, hey, who's getting this one so we can all share our passwords and things like that? Tell us a little bit about what's going on, Eric.
2: I don't think anyone starts out by intending to rob content companies of money. I think the question is you subscribe to a few services and then say like a service like Peacock comes along and you don't have real interest in subscribing to it, but maybe they have a big hit show that everyone tells you you must see. So at that point, you might look for alternative options to getting in. Maybe you're borrowing a friend's password. Maybe there's something on the Internet that tells you how you can access the service without subscribing. But whatever the reason is, I believe that, you know, with all these new streaming services, people are going to come along and try to break through the front door. And a lot of the companies are having to think about this. For years, they've been thinking about file sharing. But now that streaming is predominant and fewer and less people are downloading stuff, they have to think about the economics of, of the streaming business and how they get as many customers as they possibly can. So security is paramount on their minds.
0: For these companies to be profitable with these streaming services, they need subscribers. They need paying subscribers. Disney Plus says they want to get about 60 million subscribers by the end of 2024. HBO Max, they want to get 75 million subscribers by 2025. And that's not going to happen if a lot of people are sharing passwords and and going along that way. So there's a new group that just started that is aiming to kind of help out with this, at least in this realm
2: the Alliance uh, for Creativity and Entertainment. What's interesting about this group is it's an offshoot of the Motion Picture Association of America. It really is just their anti-piracy efforts, but membership has really expanded. It's not just the big studios, but it's also some of the smaller ones too, and now includes ISPs. For years, a lot of the content studios were fighting with the ISPs, trying to really cajole the ISPs to crack down on copyright infringement on their networks. And here we're seeing a real shift. We're seeing both players... Teaming up together, and is starting to look at best practices to stop or at least reduce unauthorized access to contents, which includes password sharing. But I think that's just the start of it. Passwords are kind of like the locks you put on the front door, but you know, there's going to be all sorts of hacking efforts to let consumers in through the back door as well. And so that's what the industry is thinking about.
0: There's a lot of websites that are set up, and they have very neat packages even. They work like apps or even like these Netflix and things like that where you can have full search functions to search for shows or search for movies and all on the back end, and they're linked up to other websites and everything like that. But for the consumer, you can download one of these apps, and then, boom, you're just watching some of this content for free. I'm assuming that's one of the main focuses of this group.
2: I have a Netflix account, but 95% of the time, I'm not using my Netflix account. For you know theoretical sake, if ten people pulled their accounts, that might suffice for you know a hundred people. Because like I said, ninety five percent of the time I'm not using it, so per, you know potentially someone else could. And there'll be technology that comes along that kind of like systematically shares passwords and all that. I don't think that the industry right this second has any intention to go after people for sharing their password with a friend. What they're really looking to do is to stop systemic password sharing, and, and systemic hacking into the system. And those are what the industries are starting to really focus on and develop legal theories about how to stop it. All of this is really novel. There hasn't been any court cases. We're just starting to see signs of an industry starting to move, knowing where their future lies.
0: We had this thing going on with TV where there's too many channels, too many options there, too many different cable packages and bundles and paying all sorts of money for it. We just got into this whole thing again with now all these new streaming services. I think one of the numbers that was thrown out there, if you want to get Netflix and Hulu plus four of the new streaming services, it's going to cost you about 45 bucks a month, not including your internet access. So there's a lot of choices for people to come up.
2: This was advertised a few years ago as cord cutting. You're going to save all this money on your cable bill. But at the end of the day, it's starting to add up and and really kind of approach what we were all paying for cable television.
0: Eric Gardner, senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you.
3: One of his friends summed up Michael's worldview and He said, Michael is a tech guy. He lives very heavily in the tech world. And that's his space. And he doesn't like bad actors in it. And he wants to do anything that he can to fight that.
0: Joining us now is Renee Dudley, tech reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Renee.
3: Thanks for having me. We're
0: going to be talking a little bit about the extortion economy, things like ransomware. We've all heard a lot of stories about hospitals, Local municipalities being targeted by ransomware, locking up files and then demanding hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars. In the case of Texas, I think not too long ago, they were demanding about a few million dollars to decrypt all the files from like a few different municipalities there. They didn't have the money to do that. This has uh, been an increasing thing going on. And there's one guy in Normal, Illinois. His name is Michael Gillespie. He's the ransomware superhero there. He's working on constantly making decryptors and and keys so people can unlock their files that have been caught up in this ransomware stuff. Tell us a little bit about Michael Gillespie and the work that he's doing.
3: Ransomware is often cast as this foreign and unsolvable problem because the people who spread it are... In countries like Russia and Iran, places that aren't exactly cooperative with U.S. law enforcement. So, ransomware has proliferated over the years, but in the past year, ProPublica has focused on what's happening on the U.S. side of things. And we've found American companies that have helped foster the rise of ransomware. By way of example, our story published in May focused on data recovery firms that pay the ransom on behalf of clients and we focused on ones that claim that they have their own proprietary ways of doing that but in reality they're just paying a hacker and failing to tell paying clients that that's what they're doing
0: right and there's Um, even insurance companies that are part of this thing and the easiest way is to just pay the hackers off which defeats the whole purpose that's going to just make them do it even more because they know they're getting paid off
3: that very point is Something that Michael Gillespie brings up. In the course of doing these other stories, I came across Michael Gillespie because he runs this site called ID Ransomware, which is a free resource available for anybody to use. And hundreds of thousands of people have gone there to use his tools to decrypt their files for free. As everybody else in the extortion economy profits from the companies that I mentioned at the Hackers, Michael Gillespie is sitting in his house in rural Illinois and working on free tools for the public to use. He's probably our nation's foremost ransomware fighter and one of the top ransomware fighters globally. And what's remarkable about Michael is that he does this work for free. And he has had his own financial struggles. He's just making ends meet while the rest of the uh, extortion economy is profiting.
0: Right now, there's about 800 different types of ransomware that we know of. Gillespie has cracked about 100 of those either by himself or in collaboration with a couple of other guys. And through his website, he's getting thousands of queries a day sometimes where people are asking him for some type of help. And he just does it out of the kindness of his, of his heart.
3: One of his friends summed up Michael's worldview and he said, Michael is a tech guy. He lives very heavily in the tech world. And that's his space. And he doesn't like bad actors in it. And he wants to do anything that he can to fight that. I asked Michael what motivates him. And he said, he's always had an affinity for challenge. But he also wants to feel like he's contributing to helping stop the bad guys. And You know, it's part of the reason why he says, hell no, people should not pay a ransom because paying a ransom is leading to the proliferation of ransomware. If you pay the hacker, then the hacker is motivated to keep hacking and other hackers are motivated to get into the business. How did
0: he get started? How did he learn all this? Because he didn't go to college. I think he's just completely self-taught with all of this.
3: He grew up knowing that college was probably not going to be an option for him because of the financial constraints. The other thing he said is he feels like he didn't need to go to college for what he needed to do. He learned a lot of what he knows by research and through a friend and almost a mentor to him. another world-renowned ransomware expert by the name of Fabian Vosar. Fabian is based in the UK, and he's now the chief technology officer for an antivirus company called AmsoSoft. And you know, in 2015, Fabian had taken note of Michael's interest in ransomware and said, hey, if you want to come along with me as I'm cracking some of this stuff, I'll open my screen share and you can see what I'm doing and I'll take you through the whole thing. And of course, Michael took him up on that offer. So through Fabian and through some of the other people who'd been involved in ransomware over the years, Michael just soaked up everything that he could learn and through researching on the Internet. And like we've discussed, it's gotten to the point that he's cracked and created decryptors for more types of ransomware than just about anybody in the world.
0: Gillespie's even been acknowledged and honored by the FBI. He's worked with them on a couple of different things. And I think they still contact him, you know, every now and then when something's come up. But it was interesting because I think they said that the FBI had only received maybe about 1,500 requests for help with ransomware attacks. Were on his website or on his Twitter feed or whatever it is. Gillespie's getting like 2,000 a day, but he's done yeah. work with the FBI and all that.
3: People who are victimized by ransomware do not go to law enforcement to report the crime. Oftentimes, when it's a company or a public entity. There's a level of embarrassment there. Nobody wants to admit that their cyber defenses were down, that their apparatus allowed for this kind of thing to happen. So, the FBI last year had less than 1,500 reports of ransomware. And also, as you point out, Gillespie's getting something like 2,000 submissions a day on his website. So, that's quite a difference.
0: There's a lot of people out there saying, well, why doesn't he charge for anything? Why doesn't he do this? And he just keeps making it a personal point. I think he did have to take up another job. I think some people helped him out and everything. But he still maintains that he doesn't want to charge for any of this. But people in his family have even called him dumb for not doing it.
3: He doesn't want to take advantage of people who've already been victimized. You mentioned his website, ID Ransomware. He's On that, he set up a Patreon account defray the cost of running his site. Initially, it was set up to help him cover server costs and things like that. And he still has that, but he said that historically, donations have been sparse.
0: Renee Dudley, tech reporter at ProPublica, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you very much.
0: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.